Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. How's everybody doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, as I said before, uh, we just came into May and here in South Florida, as you know, the weather here is either hot or hotter and we're starting to get the er, er, er. Um, even though surprisingly it's been kind of weird though because um, we've been usually by now we're into kind of the rainy season we haven't gotten the rainy season and it's really funny it's like in the 80s but then uh it goes down to the 60s at night it's the weird that the weather's kind of a little bit weird but anyway i'm excited because of course what makes marlene happy is the guests i have and today i have two not one but two uh you want to call them paranormal investigators slash psychics uh their name is Dwight and Rhonda Hull. And um, let me give you a little bit of information about them. Now, they specialize in communicating with the dead through the use of intuition, dowsing, and EVPs. Uh, they also uh, do research into history as far as unresolved deaths, etc., to find the truth. And you know, I- I've spoken about it a million times in my other shows that Sometimes um, when you do the research, which sometimes can be time consuming, depending on how far back, you discover a wealth of information that sometimes substantiates maybe the identity of a haunting. And sometimes it cancels it out. But what you find in its place is even more disturbing. And uh, they've appeared on numerous radio shows. And uh, Dwight appeared on the Tombstone episode of Ghost Adventures. And uh, they have several publish several news articles, electric events. They also do uh, historical tours. And their first book is coming out in about a week or so, which is titled Speaking with the Spirits of the Old Southwest, which I was telling them I'm so happy that I'm being able to interview them now as their uh, book is about to hit the shelves. So how are you guys doing today? We are well. We're doing good. Very well. Fantastic. Well, anyway, guys, and you please chime in at whatever order you guys want to. I'm going to ask you what I ask all my guests. How did you become involved in the paranormal? Was it something that happened to you as children and then you just went into that field or was it something afterwards as adults? Well, for me, um, I saw my first ghost when I was like six. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. And he was just one of the many that appeared to me throughout my life. Um, that's kind of when I knew that I could see and speak to spirits. Um, and it just kept occurring, you know, over and over. So, okay. all my life. <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to, this was, you said the first, this is like the, in other words, I take it, you, you kept on seeing, was it the same ghost or did you all of a sudden kept, after that, you started no. seeing them at different places? Different, different ghosts. Different ghosts. Different ghosts, all different places, at my house, at family's house, at my schools. Um, You know, anywhere death happened, Mm -hmm. pretty much I was seeing spirits. And receiving information psychically as well. Okay. And let me ask, because a six-year-old, and you know, that's the good thing about children, is their innocence as far as not questioning, like, why am I seeing something that I know I shouldn't be seeing? At what point did you realize, Rhonda, or was it right away that not everybody was able to see what you were seeing? 
It was right away. Okay. Um, I could see this man. Uh, I was at my cousin's house, and my cousin and I were in my uncle's barn. Okay. And I could see this man. I had a full-on conversation with him, but my cousin did not know who I was talking to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it just progressed. <laughs> so in other words, yeah, that's really interesting because you actually had, actually had a conversation because sometimes even children, they'll see an apparition or something, but all they do is just see something or somebody. But you actually were able to communicate, which is, right. wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you, you see dead people. <laughs> and he was very a grandfather. Yeah, I see dead people. Exactly. And uh, how about you, Dwight? Well, psychically, uh, since I was a very small child, um, I kind of honed in on uh, um, animals more than I did human. Um, I was able to communicate with my living cats when I was very, very small. I used to lay on the floor and talk to my cat. And he would talk back to me, and I would be able to tell my parents, who, by the way, never believed me, but, uh, you know, they uh, kind, of, kind of thought I was a little out there, but I was telling them the truth. Even right. when I wasn't home, I was able to say, you know, what was going on. Um, as, you know, and as far as, you know, ghosts and such like that and investigating, I, I guess I was interested in it probably since about eight or nine, mm -hmm. um, you know, reading all the books and all that. Right. And um, after I graduated high school, I finally had the opportunity, uh, you know, to do an investigation. And after that, I got my first EVP and right. I was hooked. Uh, it was I was hooked for life. So I'm able to, you know, both do it psychically and, you know, standard, I guess you'd say, with just some right. equipment. Right, right. And yeah, I, yeah, your parents must have thought, oh, our little boy, he has such a great imagination. He talks to the cats. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, you know, that, I get that's what I'm saying. You know, a lot of a lot of adults, that's 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 kind of normal where, you know, it's like he's, his imagination is just running away with him. He's an animal lover. <laughs> but let me, and this is, this is, and have you, do you still have that ability as far as psychic communications? with animals into adulthood? Oh, absolutely. Readings for people all the time. Okay. Um, I, you know, contact, if I contact, uh, you know, pets that have crossed over, uh, pets that were, you know, missing and crossed over, I'm able to, I was able to tell people, uh, you know, how their pet may have passed away. Um, yeah, so I'm still, you know, really active in that. I let uh, I let Rhonda handle the people, and mm -hmm. I handle the animals. <laughs> it's a lot easier. I know, I know what you mean. You're, you're. It's like I, I do better with the people than the than the animal. I mean, I do better with animals than with people. Yeah, and um, and the reason why I asked you is that I hate to say, it, but sometimes I think children, not all children, obviously, but children, you know, they kind of lose that ability because they're told, like all of a sudden, they're told. You know, you're imagining it. You can't do that. Yeah. They don't exist. Right. They, what are you doing? You know, so they kind of like get told so many times that they lose that ability, that open-minded thing. And then before you know it, they just don't do it anymore. So I'm really. that's why I asked you that, um, that even as an adult, you've been able to retain that ability to communicate with animals. Um, you so, know, and it, it actually comes in really handy when we're on an investigation at a, like a client's house really? because if they have an animal he can actually talk to the animal and get oh. the animal's take on what's happening in the house 
Because sometimes people are not always forthcoming or it's their perception, you know, so we can get the animal's version of what's going on. That is fascinating. That is such, that is something else. Because I'm, because of course, everybody's always hears about animals being a lot more sensitive. And, and uh, that's one of the first indicators that sometimes people have that something's going on when their animal starts acting strangely. But the ability uh, of being able to get, for lack of a better word, the animal's perspective on who or what is doing that, that's incredible. I would love to go on a paranormal investigation with you, <laughs> because it's it's invaluable. Because I, I, again, most people just limit it to the animal's reaction, uh, but they don't go beyond yeah. that. Either either the animal is scared or uh, they're going after something. But the ability to kind of get that communication. What uh, what have has have you ever had in a really unusual case where you've had an animal tell you something as to what was at a location? Yeah, uh, it happens um, probably a little more often than you might think. Okay. Um, you know, we'll go in and uh, the people will be kind of hesitant about telling us or I guess they're trying to figure out if we'll figure it out. They don't have to tell us. So usually when I walk into a location, I, I can either sense or obviously see that they have an animal and okay. I'll just, without saying much, I'll just say, hey, you know, can you mind if I talk to your cat? And they, of course, kind of look at me a little bit weird. But, uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. When I start talking to them and getting information that I can only get from the animal, then they're kind of... Then they'll know, open up, yeah. You know, spellbound, <laughs> so to speak, and they want to know more. And, you know, it... it it definitely does help. Uh, right. We were able on a few times to see that, you know, the the spirit haunting the place was not, say, like a man. It was a woman oh, really? when the people thought it was a man and vice versa. Okay. Or that they thought it was you know, demonic and it's the, their mother. Yeah. You know, I mean. <laughs> and you know what? I, I, I hate to say this, and, and I've spoken about it in other shows. I think the D word, the demon thing, is overused sometimes to yeah. explain Absolutely. certain hauntings and you know sometimes yeah, because i understand people get scared you get a creepy feeling and right away everybody goes to the worse that and i say you know what there's human spirits out there that were nasty human beings when they were alive and now even when they're dead they creep out the living really bad and people automatically connect that feeling of malevolence to being demonic when in truth it's just that this was a real jerk put it nicely when they were right. alive and you, they just gave off the same vibes but there's it's still a human spirit but yeah yeah so <laughs> poor mom was being t- <laughs> <laughs> i wonder who the whose mother-in-law she was you know as far as <laughs> in the household <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's people out there that are gonna be going hey yeah i i, I would probably think that my mother-in-law would <laughs> i think that was a demonic spirit but uh but that's yeah, and and that's that's um and and, and I know in some cases you hear about some um, supernatural uh, events where or you know haunted houses where the animals are targeted as well. That sometimes it's like when I hear some of these stories. Initially, I'm thinking, okay, you know what? Some I know sometimes animals can die unexpectedly, and uh, you know. 
so it makes me wonder is is it because they just died because animals die just the way humans die not because of old age and sometimes not even because of sickness it's just something happens with them or was there truly something that was targeting the animals have you run across anything like that where the animals communicating and saying it's like i'm more scared than the humans are in animal talk well, i guess i can tell you firsthand um we moved into this house uh, a little over a year ago uh, when we first moved in, we knew we had one spirit here, a former owner. Um, we did not know we had multiple spirits right away. Okay. Um, but within a, in about a two-week period, um, our, I mean, shortly after we moved, our cat was already freaked out because of the whole trauma of moving. Yes. Um, and I had to tell the former owner to kind of back off his energy and, and not show himself to her because okay. he was freaking her out. He was a cat lover. Um, but then, uh, two times within maybe a three day period, she likes to go in our master bath and sit up in the window Okay. and, uh, the door opens, it's behind the, the door. So she's kind of hiding, you know, Okay. well, twice that door shut all the way and locked her in the bathroom. Oh. She couldn't get out and there was no breeze. The windows weren't open. Even if they were there, there couldn't have been a cross breeze that would shut that door. It, it really freaked her out so bad that she wouldn't even hardly go in our bedroom. Okay. Um, come to find out, we and we had other experiences in our bedroom, not necessarily negative, but letting us know that they're here. Right. Um, come to find out, long story short, uh, this used to be Native American uh, land. Okay. And a site where they lived. We're talking at least pre-Apache, maybe even going back to prehistoric. Wow. <clears throat> so, we found stuff in our backyard that gave us that conclusion. Interesting. Because you know what? The reason, and I'm glad you brought so that we, up because, you know, a lot of people sometimes when they do, um, when they start going back, especially if there's, you know, like when you do the research, you know, sometimes you find a history of hauntings at a location. And then when you go a little bit further, it's tied into the land. And then when you go a little bit further, it's Native American. And everybody always looks at, as a Native American, as the burial ground. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? They That spot necessarily couldn't have, didn't have to be a burial ground. It could have been a place where they had ceremonies, for example. And you could get a lot of unusual and weird okay. things happening at that look. Everybody thinks it's just because it's where they bury people. Not, they might have even chosen the place no, because no. of something going I mean, on there. Yeah, I mean, this. we think this was a settlement area for okay. the local Native Americans. Um, there's a couple of rivers that are not too far. Okay. Uh, but we found, you know, worked obsidian in our backyard, and obsidian is not na uh, native to this area. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, probably a Native Native American man not very happy with us being on half the bedroom. It was only half the bedroom. Really? So. Yeah, it almost makes you like he's, yeah. he's living yeah, only, in a structure, whatever it was that pertain to half of the room i guess right interesting yeah, only on dwight's side <laughs> lucky dwight <laughs> huh he must have been like oh. <laughs> so and and um one of the things uh and and it's you know sometimes one and, and i don't know you guys if you've done research um because i know because you guys live out west and uh, I know that in a lot of these, like Tombstone, all these frontier and mining towns, there was a lot of things that went on out there as far as uh, what I call that generate a ghost. 
violent, sudden death, um, yeah. just a lot of stuff, you know, human drama. Uh, have you guys run across that? I mean, I, there's certain things that are very well publicized, but even in these little small towns, a lot of things were going on that were violent, for lack of a better word, out there. It was like, you know, you, in other words, you didn't have sometimes a sheriff or the, the law was a long time coming. So people a lot of times took the law into their own hands. Yeah, that's that's the way it was mostly uh, around here. Uh, you know, before the Earps came in and, mm-hmm. you know, started, you know, taking the law more seriously. But, you know, we go to places, you know, ghost towns that are just, I mean, little bitty ghost towns. And we run into, you know, people that were murdered. Um, a lot of what we run into is also disease. Because back then, right. you know, there wasn't a lot of medicine. So a lot of the children especially would succumb to the diseases or you know, pneumonia or what mm-hmm. have you. Uh, we've run into that a lot of times. But yeah, you know, as far as violence, it was all over. Um, oh, and a lot of times, I mean, as long as there was a, a weapon in the victim's hands, hey, it was self-defense. So, I mean, right. That's just and, and I'm thinking to myself, and, and the reason why I say, because I, I see that the title of your book that's coming out is Speaking with the Spirits of the Old Southwest. And that's why I bought it, because out there... Um, and I'm thinking to myself, not even of the self-defense out there, I imagine you could get rid of somebody. And especially if, you know, you had people that were homesteads were like maybe miles from maybe the little town. Who's to say where the bodies were buried? Yeah, that kind of thing. And back there, there was no forensics, no DNA, no circumstantial evidence. So I'm thinking to myself, you know how many people were done away with and they're just buried out there. And uh, those are the people sometimes that Maybe mm-hmm. their ghost is saying, hey, <laughs> I want some justice. Uh, and and I know oh, yeah. sometimes because yeah. of those mines, some of those mining towns, it was what they call, what is it, that claim jumping and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. Yep. Claim jumping. And, you know, there's a, a small building out here in the desert called Brunkow Cabin, um, which is, for Arizona history, it's called the bloodiest patch of earth in Arizona because there's over wow. 26 people that were killed either because of claim uh, attempted claim jumping or robbery or you know what have you so yeah even uh, you know the small little one you know cabin places you know you still had to deal with that I mean you had to take the law in your own hands and you know whoever survived was right right <laughs> yeah and it's like it yeah and and uh you know you always think of that um because I imagine, you know, back east, it was like, you know, you had the more established cities and you had police departments and it was more law and order, I guess. But out further west, right. you know, and you had people out there sometimes that, and I imagine sometimes, you know, when they had those gold strikes in some of these mines or whatever, even or, gold, or silver, whatever, the, the whatever was found, people would go out there and from what I understand, like sell everything they had just to get enough money to go out there and mine and sometimes uh it could be kind of desperate and sometimes the some of the people that you had out there also were like you know you you had to deal with every type of person out there you had some bad characters right yeah Yeah, you had some bad characters and not out here you had the indians the native americans so they were not only um you know had to be careful of other shady people but 
you know, a lot of people got killed <laughs> killed by Native Americans. Well, yeah, right, so. because we're out. You're out. What are they? The Apache? What do you have? Apache, Comanche, or who's Apache? Apache, right? Yeah, Apache. But they're fierce warriors. Yeah. Oh yes, from what I understand, Apache could be like uh, you didn't want to get captured fierce. by Apache, <laughs> something like that. They could be. You did not. You did not. <laughs> Thank yeah. God we're friends with them. <laughs> right? No, no. Uh, I and. And uh, also, uh, I think that's, you know, you see that in a lot of, well, some of the older Westerns, whatever, you know, that sometimes about the only kind of uh, protection, if you were out there settling, was those forts that they would have out there. Um, but even then, that was no instant yeah. security if you were living in, you know, a few miles out, which is, I imagine, also a lot of people also went out there not oh, only yeah. for mining and frontiers, but they were they could get a hold of land for ranching or or just to have a homestead. I imagine, right? Oh, absolutely. And you know, like from Brunkow, you can see Fort Wachuca, which back then was Camp Wachuca, the military. Mm -hmm. But that was, you know, a couple days ride on a horseback. Right. Yes, and oh. uh, and I know the terrain out there. I'm trying to think because I once drove through there going out. Uh, it's there's a lot of vast empty kind of like desert kind of like dry that's what it, the feeling I got when I was out there so I imagine that also presented some challenges so let me ask you when you went out there did you go out to certain places like when you were writing the book of you know places that were already known to be haunted or did you stumble across some that you didn't or once you were there or you started doing the research it was like something else came out of it um well you know most of the places we went to for the history at first mm -hmm. because they were you know small little ghost towns and such right um and wherever you have towns you have people and wherever you have people you have death so you know it, it yes. turns out to be haunted you know irregardless so um you know, every place that we've been to, we try to find a place that has a lot of history, you know, and, you know, make it an interesting story, but then sure. try to add the human, you know, component to the ghosts that come in and tell us, you know, what it was like in that town or, you know, how they died or, you know, who died there. You know, we try to tell history to the voices of those who lived it. Okay. So any place we go, you know, generally the farther out you go, the more willing they are to talk okay. because, you know, get visitors very often. <laughs> right, right. I imagine. And, we, and, and I guess that's what I was over. getting to. Have you ever heard? Because I think sometimes some ghosts or spirits, exactly what you said, they want acknowledgement. Maybe they died with like either I want to know what happened or this is what happened or, you know then there's nobody yeah. there like you said it's a ghost a, town everybody's moved away all the living are gone a lot have you Sometimes run across we'll any of them we'll that that didn't realize they were dead i know this sounds like everybody thinks that ghosts but did you run across any that really didn't understand that time had passed by and that they were ghosts well you know we've had some that you know really don't have a a strong grasp on you know time okay right uh, they're just there um uh, some of them that we've talked to 
are very happy where they're at. In okay. fact, they decided to stay there. Okay. Um, some were afraid of crossing over, mm-hmm. you know, judgment and all that. Sure. Uh, in fact, in the book, uh, one of the last chapters of the book, we actually were able to help a murder victim who came back to help his murderer really? cross over. He forgave him. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a dynamite chapter. It was just... We were that doing an is... event at the time in this small little theater, and when we crossed them over, the energy just snapped through that place so hard that everybody, and I mean everybody, almost 40 people started crying wow. immediately, including Brian Cano from Haunted Collector who was there. Okay. And he's very scientifically, you know, he's a great guy, but even he looked at me and said, what the heck just happened? Okay. Because it was just that powerful. So, you know, uh, know, we run into that quite often. Right. And that talks a lot about human forgiveness and, yeah. And and I truly believe, like what you described, that sometimes uh, some spirits, uh, they're not bound per se because of unfinished business, but because of fear. They're afraid, especially if, you know, they were brought up with that thing about you're going to burn in hell that if maybe they did certain things whether they were really really bad or not as bad but whatever but they think that they're going to get judged they're like i'm not really happy where i'm at but this is better than going getting judged and going to the hot place so they just stick it out and then um, (laughs) well and think about it you know here you are if you're a horrible person and you were a murderer and your your victim comes back and tells you it's going to be okay but i see how you would think well maybe you know this this person is willing to forgive me trying to lead me into the yes yeah yeah. you know it's like it kind of like gives that that but yeah i've heard of that because sometimes you know you always hear about those stories about those uh spirits crossing over and it's either a family member uh coming to get them but what if this person really had a really bad relationship with their family members it happens, uh, you know, maybe oh, yeah. they well, didn't have a good relationship with parents or with whoever was around them. It was really horrible. And th- they would be the last people that they would go off with into the afterlife. So along comes your victim. And that is such a that is such a great story, you guys. That is fantastic. And yeah. I'm going to ask you, considering that you've gone into all these ghost towns and all these places... Have you ever had any of them try to come back with you guys? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've yeah. actually invited some of them back if they wanted okay. to. Um, in fact, um, one that we did, one that Rhonda invited back was Maddie Earp, uh, Wider's wife when she was here. Maddie was yeah, the... We went and talked to her. She was uh, She was married to the which one, one of the Earp brothers? Wyatt. Wyatt. Wyatt Okay, I'm ta- I'm sorry because I'm trying Wyatt. to get them straight. She was was she number two? She was yes number two. She was the one that didn't she commit suicide out in the little town out there? And I think it was in Arizona, New Mexico. Yes. Okay. All right. I'm sorry Arizona, because sometimes yeah. I get them all confused. You got oh I want to hear about that. What happened with that? <laughs> nice, 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 nice night. I mean, our first visit in book one. Um, she was, it was a very different story. She was in a very different place, but we okay. went out there again to kind of revisit with her. 
okay. for book two, which, you know, is not out obviously yet, but um, just a whole different vibe, a whole different transition for Maddie, mm-hmm. whose real name is Celia. Um, and, and we really got to know her better this, this time around. Um, it was a really good visit. She was... Um, what we think she had her own gifts when she was alive. I mean, we had a really in-depth conversation with her. Okay. Um, very gifted when she was living. Um, she now kind of uh, goes back and forth, but protects the other spirits that are in that town. Okay. Sort of, she's a kind of a guide. Um, but just a neat, neat gal. I wish I could have known her when she was living, but we, I invited her back um, to our house um, to have kind of a good visit down here because... Her life in Tombstone was not good. No, um, I'm kind of like, it's, I think she got the short, oh, you know, no, it wasn't good. Yeah, yeah, she did. Yeah. She did, yeah. Um, so we invited her back to our house and uh, knew that she would know how to get here. And I said, you know, Maddie, if you come visit us, um, I want you to give me a sign. We're going to have a little signal. So you can do something with my electronics, okay. um, but please do it twice so that I know that it's you. And that night when we got home, I was sitting out in our screen porch area and my cell phone was, you know, it was on, but it, the screen was black. Okay. And all of a sudden my camera, my cell phone came on. Wow. And uh, I looked at it and I'm like, I didn't even think about it. I just, you know, turned it off, turned the screen black, you know, black again. And it came on one more time. And then I'm like, twice, that was twice. Yes. You know, and then I I welcomed her to our house, and it never happened again, so she did it twice. That is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? And um, the reason why I was familiar with her was I wrote a book last year, which was about the wicked ladies of the Old West. And, you know, I ran across her story (laughs) real, you know, real quickly. That's why I was saying I know that. You know, she kind of like, I felt very bad about what happened to her and how she ended up taking her life in this little town. And, um, you know, he went on and had taken up yeah. with uh, the, 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 the wife that all the movies are made around, which is uh, Josie, <laughs> you know. And right. nobody realizes that prior to that, he had other relationships and other wives and everything. Everybody just thinks that's a jumping off point for his romantic life even though i know they portray uh, they portray her in uh in, in these movies kind of like i don't know like a uh, very unhappy but still at the same time what ended up happening to her was kind of sad so i'm really glad to hear that that uh that you were able to communicate with her and that's one of the things also that i wanted to mention that a lot of people don't realize is you know because everybody thinks of um you know, the old West, as far as the gunfighters and, you know, all these things that were going on there, whether you were the lawman or the gunfighter or the cowboys and, but also women out there, it was a very difficult life sometimes. And a lot of women ended up going uh, to become either dance hall girls or into prostitution, but because they had no choice, it was like either that or starve. (laughs) It's like, right. You know, um, it was it was uh, sometimes a very difficult life, and some of them made it out the other end. Some of them, like Maddie, kind of like, you know, they they just their life ended prematurely. Um, there was one lady; she was known as uh, her, 
you know, how people, they would get names. And they called her Square Tooth Alice. I don't know if you ever heard of her. And um, <laughs> no. she, uh, she was originally from Texas, and she ended up going through the Chisholm. Well, she was, when she was uh, about 11 years old, she was uh, kidnapped from a family farm by the Comanche. And this was because ah, I do remember. Yep. all the soldiers had gone off to the Civil War. So normally all these outposts and forts that were manned and the men, everybody was gone. Right. She ended up getting kidnapped two years later. She comes back. And of course, back then, uh, you know, her family finally located who the, the, the ones that had taken her and they negotiated her return. And that time she was like 13 years old. And back then, it was a very difficult thing for a family because everybody was thinking, what happened to you while you were being held captive? Make a long story short, she's very young. She hooks up with a guy in his 20s. Her father doesn't like him, shoots him dead, and then she runs off and goes into all these um, cattle towns like uh, Abilene and all of those uh, you know, rowdy places where all the cowboys would right. go. And eventually, she fell into that into that lifestyle but I'm gonna go real she ended up dying when she was like 90 something out in California because her her wow. kids eventually moved out there and um yeah she had a very very interesting life uh you know and everybody thinks well how can a 13 or 14 year old by the time how did she end up because she she lived down in southern Texas how did she end up going by herself out to the up to Chisholm Trail and going to Abilene and all these uh you know, all these different towns that were set up. And I said, you know, at that point, she had already been abducted for two years. Believe me, she had learned to survive. And I guess my point yeah. is that back then, you know, we think now of a 13-year-old and it'd be like, oh my God, no. And it's like, back then you grew up quick. I'm, You know, you, yeah. uh, you had to grow up quick to survive. Yeah. And she ended up, like I said, married. And uh, she ended up marrying uh, 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 a guy that he was a little bit of a gunfighter. But uh, they had several kids, but she ended up uh, dying into her 90s, which, like I said, not all of them ended up like Maddie Earp, you know, right. by suicide and because they had addictions and things like that. So, yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of interesting characters out there. So I imagine that some of the spirits or things that you run across have got to be so interesting and let me ask you, because I have to ask you, because out there, have you run across any non-human entities? Not at all. Never. Nothing. Okay. Never. And what I mean by that Nothing. is no. that Everybody has been I've had, you know, I've heard stories of people running across things that were unexplainable as far as, uh, uh, you know, experiences that they knew that this was not like a human spirit and by this i don't mean even demonic just either a, a, a nature spirit uh something that it was like way out there that was part of the nature of the landscape out there i don't think we no we haven't run into any... anything like that i i know you know a lot of native american lore is you know like the skinwalkers mm -hmm. and you know shape shapeshifters and, and such like that um, we haven't run into anything like that. And I'll, t I'll tell you something right now. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with your own self-being and your own intentions. Okay. Um, spirits can see your energy a mile sure. coming. Of so, um, I mean, 
that's not to say that innocent people don't see, you know, scary things. Sure. But you have to self-reflect and look at what your own, are you going through anything difficult? Is there anything that could be, um, you know, you see what I'm saying? Um, sure. Yes. And, and I've heard of that. Creating it, but bringing it to you. Okay. Yes. Like a, like a um, tracks like kind of thing. We go out. Exactly. And um, have you guys uh, done any investigations into any of the mining towns? Because I know sometimes that some of these places, they had pretty horrific accidents as far as the, you know, mining operations. Have you guys done any investigations into locations like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, a lot of the places that we have in book one are our mining towns. Uh, oh, really? In fact, one of the one of the chapters in book one is an actual mine. We went into a mine from back in the 1880s. We actually went down into it. Wow. And, uh, you know, we're, yeah, we were told uh, to leave. Get out. To get out. But it wasn't a bad get out. It yeah, but bad. it wasn't a bad get out. It was a get out because, you know, the mine wasn't safe kind of a thing. Oh. So, yeah, we, we go to a lot of mining camps and, uh, you know, run into... Um, accident victims, you know, that have, you know, accidents to mine and such like that. We've talked to uh, women, you know, spirits of women that, you know, lost their husbands in the mines. Sure. Um, it, it's, an, it's an extremely interesting uh, place to go when you go to a mining town because you just, the, the diversity of people and spirits that you find in a mining town is just really, really vast. <laughs> Because let me tell you something, I'm not claustrophobic, but then I think of doing that as far as your job, your work that you would have to face every day. And you look, at, especially at some of the mines, the way they were in those those years where it was like really small and dank. And they, I don't know how they did that. God. Oh, and it was work. Oh, my goodness. If that you would see these shafts really that all they would have is some pieces of lumber and that was it to hold them open. Oh, man, I don't That's. Yeah, and they had to do it all by candlelight. We had yeah. flashlights, <laughs> but they did by candlelight. So, you know, my hat's off to them. They were definitely a much tougher breed of people than we are today, for sure. Yes, and I guess that was that's another thing that, you know, that people don't realize that back then you had to do what you needed to do to survive. And oh, if yeah. this was the I only mean, place that was had a job, there you go. You had to. Um, you could recreate yourself over and over, you know, just to get work. So. Yes, and uh, uh, and and that, and, and I hate to say it, also, you know, especially if they were like a, it was like already an established mine, they kind of like were kind of like they didn't care too much about the, their workers. It was like, oh, that one died. Get another one because I guess there was always going to be people there that wanted a job. So, um, it was like. Yeah. This is what it is, and I know um, they. I mean, you could. Uh, I mean, there were so many things that could happen to you. Um, not only you know you hear of all these explosions or you know that the mines collapse, but from what I understand, there was also a lot of accidents having to do with those uh, with either the 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 equipment that was being used to mine, like those buckets or those carts that they would use. Like if you weren't aware of what was going on around you. That could you could really get hurt oh, yeah. with one of those things too, and I imagine yeah that uh, 
that was a very and like and like you pointed out you said you communicated also with women that and and that's another thing that people don't realize that back then a woman and when i say a woman or family let's say a woman with children you were totally dependent on your husband to put food on the table mm-hmm. you know his job meant everybody so you know hear what happens when from one day to the next your husband your the 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 one that makes it possible for everybody to keep a roof over their head and food on the table dies back then they didn't have you know none of the i mean that was another thing it was like okay now what do i do with my kids and myself wow yeah yeah it, it was a it was a big learning curve you know, when we did a lot of these towns. So, you know, we learned a lot. I think we learned more from them than they did from us. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, and there were several instances where we would go out to hopefully speak to uh, specific people or, you know, we had we knew there was some history, so we wanted to, to go this direction. Right. And But when we got there, uh, a spirit would come along and say, hey, come over here. And we were redirected and talked to somebody totally different that we didn't even know really? was out there. Yeah, it's it was really it's been really enlightening, I to say the least. Let me ask you: Do you think, knowing what you know, that a lot of times Hollywood has romanticized the old West a little bit too much? As in, yeah, they have there was opportunity, but at the same time, a lot of danger. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, to be honest with you, the more we do what we do around here, um, you know, honestly. I think Hollywood has it completely backwards. I don't think, you know, if you know the, you know, the story about the gunfight at the OK Corral with, you know, Wyatt Earp and his brothers going up against the Cowboys. Right. Um, you know, we've gone out to the ranch that the Cowboys lived at and they were so welcoming and so caring and spoke to us so well and, you know, talking to them about you know, what happened back then. And, and, you know, this is over many, many visits, of course, but, you know, I think Hollywood has it completely wrong. I mean, back then the lawmen kind of walked a very thin line between law and outlaw. outlaw. Yeah. You know, it was kind of whatever made them the money. And, and that's certainly the way it was, uh, you know, here, you know, the Clantons and McLowry's, the ones that were involved in the gunfight at the OK Corral, you know, the more we got to know them, the more we sympathized with them, more so than we did, you know, the Earps and <laughs> Doc Holliday. Right. So, yeah, it's kind of a neat dynamic when you start talking to both parties and you kind of see, you know, what the dynamic was back then. Completely different than what, you know, Hollywood said. Yeah, totally murder. But that's a whole different story. <laughs> well, no, and you, and I, I find that a lot of times the current historical story has sometimes very little truth or the or they omit certain things yeah. uh, because like you said the oh, storyline yeah. was okay we're going to use the cowboy the wider character um, to hey that'll it'll make great movies <laughs> and um, yeah right romance and let's face it i mean he from what i understand Wyatt Earp before he died he was already in hollywood and he you know he was being used as a uh, almost like as a reference point for what was going on because people have romanticized his life and what all his exploits had been. 
So in those early movies, they were coming to him from Hollywood. And of course, he's not going to make himself look bad. And then there you go. And it takes off. Right. And then his version becomes the truth. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And uh, who's to Which say? may not be exactly the truth. Oh, no. No. And you're absolutely right. Uh, from what I understand, in some of these towns, if they were really, really out of control... Uh, and they really needed a sheriff, they kind of said, you know, we need to get, like you said, somebody that's almost not an outlaw, but somebody that knows how to handle outlaws or as in rowdy guys, you know, that have right. too much to drink. Like, in other words, you couldn't afford to get a mild-mannered sheriff to handle the, the, the town because he would get either walked over or killed. Uh, so, right, right. Sometimes those really tough guys you wanted to be your sheriff, if you didn't, if you looked too hard in their past, sometimes they had done things which were questionable. Uh, as far oh. as um, absolutely, but they had to be respected by the outlaws, or they wouldn't oh, yeah. make it. So, yes, yes, yeah. and people don't realize that, um, especially you know, because everybody you know sees these. You know, when you look at the westerns, you know that you've got like the town where you've maybe you've got the hardware store and all those places where the regular citizens live. And then sometimes on the little bit of the outskirts, you know, they would have where they had all the brothels and the saloons and things like that, depending on where it was. And this wasn't like a couple of guys that were all in all, just the majority of men and everybody that was things that were going on. Everybody was either drunk, um, you know, fighting, uh, things like that. And, you needed a really strong personality to go in there and like you said and get respected and if not i'm going to arrest you and put you in jail and uh, yeah that that to me i like i said i find that fascinating in the sense of you look at that and there was so much opportunity for the right person but then at the same time and and, and i'm going to give you an example uh, i don't know if you're familiar and i know that it's uh, hollywood hollywood lies but you know that series that they had on uh, deadwood which kind of like looked at when you know yeah. Yeah. when yeah. they did the uh, the thing and it was like you know you had some people that went in there were real smart and they would set up hotels and and you know become merchants to sell stuff to the miners for example or what people need just to live out there so i could see one part of it is you had great opportunity and a chance to make money but the flip side of it is what you could just very easily end up on the wrong side of an argument and unfortunately they settled the arguments out there with a gun it was like what yeah oh yeah 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 it was more yeah. more common so than people thought more people more oh common. yeah 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 and that's that's what we're trying to get you know through with the book a little bit what we're really hoping people do after they read our book is say, wow, you know, that was completely different than what I thought it might be. Yes. Or, you know, they're bringing, you know, some history in that, you know, I never really thought of. You know, we're trying to get people thinking by telling them the truth as told to us by the spirits who lived during that time. Isn't that And it's a lot of times it's, it's a completely different, you know, perspective. I think that is such a great point I, I mean as far as the approach of the book because again you know let's face it a good majority of people you know if they read the history book more than everybody goes by movies or programs and they kind of they kind of believe that this is the truth 
and many times oh, yeah. it's oh, yeah. not even remotely related to the truth <laughs> like you just that's, what was that thing sure. that you were talking about what happened at the OK Corral that you know these poor cowboys I, are always made to look as they had it coming and right, the herbs and, and Doc Holiday just gave them what they you know. yeah. it's yeah. like yeah I mean, the, the truth of it is, in, in, if the Earps would have taken another five minutes to get to the OK Corral, the, the Cowboys would have already left. They were already getting their horses and they were ready to leave town. They weren't staying there like it shows in the movie, you know, hoping to right. come up against the Earps. The Earps just went down there and, lack L- of a better term, a you know, ambushed them. So had the Earps been five minutes later, that probably gunfight would have never happened. They would have taken off out of town and it wouldn't have been. Let me ask you something. Was the reason why, is it is it accurate? You know, you always see that the Earps and Doc Holliday end up going into that confrontation because just bad blood and what had happened to one of the brothers. Is that accurate? Or why is it that they ended up wanting to go and basically shoot it out with these guys and killing a, a I want to say what almost well, did they kill all of them or just or maybe a couple lived? I'm not sure about that. Yeah, they they killed three of them. They they killed uh, Tom and Frank McClowry, and they killed uh, Billy Clanton. Okay. Um, none of the Earps or Holiday, of course, were were killed. Um, you know, to answer your question, uh, the main reason comes down to a power struggle. The okay. Earps wanted control of the town. And the Clantons and McLowrys already had control of the town before the Earps came in. Okay. So it was a power struggle between the two factions. Um, and to give you an idea, I mean, Tombstone at the time was, uh, you know, it had probably about 15,000 people in it, you know, that, permanently. That's a lot. And when, yeah, it is. And when the three people who who died at the gunfight you know supposedly the bad guys when they were walked down to the to the graveyard it was the biggest funeral procession that tombstone had ever seen to wow. this day to this day really so you don't do that yeah so you don't do that to people you don't like absolutely not they were so, very well liked by the townspeople. Yeah, they were very well liked. So it was kind of a, a bad situation for the Earps. That was kind of the beginning of the end, really, for the for the Earps. Right, because I was going to say, after that, they all disperse and go their own ways to do their own thing. Uh, right. Uh, well, right. And it makes they sense. They were very well liked in Tombstone, the Earps. Right, which begs so. the question, okay, if you just supposedly wiped out these bullies you know, as they're portrayed, you would think this town would be eternally grateful and you want to stay there because everybody thinks you're wonderful guys. But the fact that everybody went off and right. did their own thing, yeah, that that speaks volumes right there about it. It's like, we're not wanted here anymore. We got to get out of here. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they, um, I know, uh, considering that they had all been together, they all went off in separate directions and did their own thing as far as uh, whether it was, I think one of them was also became a lawman. And I mean, they all did, you know, uh, they made their way into different types of, and I believe uh, Wyatt Earp, he kept on with, he, you know, he was 
running some casinos and he had a couple of mines out in uh I want to say in uh by San Diego and also in the Yukon but yeah that makes a lot of sense I had not thought of it that way I had not thought of it that way and let me ask you um well uh, I'm sorry go ahead uh, after they left Tombstone and he went on his vendetta ride, he killed um, Stillwell at, in Tucson, him and Doc Holliday did. So they were actually wanted um, by the U.S. Marshals for murder. So they couldn't come back to Arizona. They, they had to leave. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that'll put it, that will, that, that, that'll that put just some, yeah, ants in your pants and make yeah. you want to leave town. <laughs> yeah, like I need to get out of out of this territory. And let me ask you, what happened? Because 15,000 people in a town is a lot of people for those times. What happened at Tombstone that the population, what happened? Well, um, what happened was that uh, the mines, all the silver mines around Tombstone, Mm -hmm. most of them flooded. In 1887. In about 1887. uh, There was a big earthquake here. And most of the mines flooded, so they couldn't be worked anymore. So oh. no mines, no money. So, you know, people kind of, you know, took off and went, you know, their own separate ways. Yes. Um, and this place almost became a, a ghost town, ghost town with nobody. Mm-hmm. But it has always had people here. And, you know, thankfully for, I guess, Wyatt Earp's lies. <laughs> yeah, the, in a way, kind of served its purpose in a way. And, yeah. Yeah, it, it kept the town alive, and, uh, you know, it's still going today with probably uh, about 1,500 people in it now. Okay, but, yeah, I could see where if the backbone was the mining industry and that, I, did, I didn't know that thing about the f- flooding. Yeah, that will do it. Yeah, everything yeah, is built a- around that industry. And then when there, people- it was, there was, a, I think it was 7.2 earthquake in northern mexico um in 1887 so it affected you know a lot of southern arizona so, i did not know that i did not know that destroyed some towns and flooded the mines god i did not know that that is so interesting because you always think of you know some of these towns you think well you know why what, what happened to them why did they and some of them never are that big to begin with but fifteen thousand is a lot that's a lot of people but then again, if that one source dries up, that's it. Everybody goes on and looks for greener pastures as far as opportunities are concerned. Uh, to uh, Yes, that's correct. And let me ask you, Huggy, if you guys ever communicated with any, I don't want to say famous, but any known character, as whether it's a lawman, a gunfighter, anybody that you've run across that you were surprised that you actually... Oh, yeah. Like who? Yeah. Well, um, well, one of them was Mr. Clanton. He was the father of the people that were killed at the really? OK Corral. Uh, he was, yeah, he was kind of a notable character himself. Um, we have some just amazing, amazing EVPs when we went out uh, those couple times from Mr. Clanton. We can tell it's him because it's an older gentleman with kind of a Southern accent that comes through uh-huh. uh, on the EVP. So we know it's him. Uh, we've talked to John Ringo yeah, you know, out at his grave site. Yeah. We've talked to him. He's one of my favorite you know, outlaws. So we go out there as much as we can and we talk to him um, and see his, his death has always been ruled a suicide, but 
he told us it was murder. So we actually, Rhonda and I actually have put together a packet because I'm former law enforcement. Okay. So we went through and we interviewed, we interviewed the people who own the ranch where he's buried. Okay. Their family owned the ranch back then. So they got they got the stories from you know great grandpa basically yeah. first hand you know first hand and, and it know. was it's always been murder to those people right so we talked to John go. Ringo and he told us who killed him so we have a pack together with forensics and everything else that we have currently going to the Cochise County medical medical examiner to try to reopen the case and put it at least as undetermined and not suicide. We're trying to clear John Ringo's name. And what, what was it supposedly? How did he kill himself? He what shot himself or what did he, how did he? Kill? Yeah. He's supposedly yeah, suicide. Yeah. Suicide. He, he suicide by shot shooting himself in the head. Okay. Right. right. And he's saying somebody you murdered know, read him. The op- oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he was found next. He was found in the crook of a tree, um, and he had a bullet hole in his head that came out kind of the top of his head, but he still had his hat on, and there was no blood inside the hat, and his gun belt was put on him upside down and backwards. So yeah, he, that was he could have done. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of inconsistencies there. Um, you know, yeah. I did. You know, a forensic thing. I could tell where the bullet probably came from, um, you know, and it matched up perfectly. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it's know, very plausible. It's very plausible. And why was... Why did they want to murder him? Do you know? I mean, was uh, it... And the reason why I'm asking is a- that usually when there's bad blood between people or guys or whatever, you know... One of two it things. It could have been, you know, over... I'm sorry, go it ahead. Could go have ahead. Been over a card, it could have been over a card game, but the, the guy that he said that killed him um, also worked for Wyatt Earp. Oh. Okay. It's part in the Oriental. Um, so he kind of was playing both sides and probably was a hired hitman. Wow. Okay. And I was, you know, the reason why I was asking is I'm thinking to myself, okay. Usually what, God, that's pretty obvious that his hat was put on after the fact and that thing with a gun belt, that's like, okay, here's all these very evident clues. This is not a suicide. I'm thinking to myself, why would they overlook this? One of two things. Somebody there was, I hate to say it, whoever was looking, you know, because they would send this, I imagine, to the inquest, you know, like, you know, the coroner and stuff, and they did determine, like you said, is it a suicide? Is it a murder? Whatever. Somebody must have had some pull there. To get it to be well, yeah. Well, what happened was, you know, he Ringo was found dead in the tree the next morning by the people who, you know, was at the ranch. So they called Tombstone, you know, or sent a letter to Tombstone, what have you, to have medical examiner come out. Okay. So you know, it takes almost a day to get out there. It's okay. the middle, you know, it's the beginning of July, middle of July when he was killed. So it's hot. So the body already started kind of decomposing a little oh, bit. Okay, they okay. didn't pack the wagon all the way back to Tombstone for a day. So they literally looked at it and said, okay, finally John Ringo's dead. You know, because he was, you know, considered a bad guy, you know, one of the, you know, cowboy outlaws. Yeah. So they were like, well, good riddance to bad rubbish. So they literally dug a hole, you know, about 10 feet from him, 
pulled his body into it, buried him, done. That was that was the extent of it. They didn't even bother to bury him in consecrated ground like in a cemetery? No. They made that a cemetery. They just <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, they just they just dug a hole and put him in and that was it. So he's he's buried about ten feet from where he died. God, that's that you know what that speaks volumes right there, what you said about what the people there considered it. Because back then people cared about who was you know, buried in the cemetery. And sometimes people went to extraordinary lengths to yeah. even bring a body back to make sure that it got buried, like in the cemetery, in a family plot or in consecrated ground. Oh, yeah. But the fact that they just, like, yeah, right over there, yeah, yeah, dig a hole over there, that speaks volumes right there about maybe why they they didn't really push hard on suicide. Yep, so, sound right to you? Yep, okay. Suicide it is. Right. Too bad. Right, and and that makes for a very, very upset John Ringo oh, yeah. in the afterlife because now people are talking to him, you know, thinking that he committed suicide, calling him a coward, and all, yes. all this other stuff. And yes. you know, he's he was uh, when we first started talking to him, he was not a happy you know spirit to talk to because you know he was just basically very upset. So it took several trips of us going out there to talk to him and you know find out the real story. And now when we go out there, he's he's really, you know, almost welcoming to us. I can imagine. And <clears throat> how did they find out, did they ever, uh, where he was buried, did they ever put some type of marker out there for him? Or, because I know sometimes when time passes by, people forget, like, yeah, that guy, they buried him out there. Or did somebody keep tabs on where they had buried him? Well, they did, uh, the ranch owner did put a marker. He put a okay. stone that he carved John Ringo in the date. Okay. And then later about maybe, I think it was about 15, 20 years ago, uh, the Arizona Historical Commission uh, put a, a good size stone monument right there. Okay. And so now it's part of the, uh, you know, Arizona Historical Commission. Okay. So it's actually considered a, an actual grave. So people can go out there and actually visit it if they want to. That is so interesting. That is so interesting. He was luck, but you know what? That that's like you pointed out. If if you've got a spirit of somebody that was murdered, but then they rule him a suicide, which I know in some maybe for him personally, I would never have done that. I'm not a coward. I would, yeah. You know, that's like, yeah, I could see where that could uh, could bind him. And let me ask you, he hasn't crossed over. Has he ever told you? Is he doing, is he staying here willingly? Or is he one of these that hasn't crossed over because he's just not sure what's waiting for him on the other side? Oh, no. Uh, we've talked to him about that. And, uh, you know, where where he was killed, it's a it's an absolutely beautiful area in the Chiricahua mm -hmm. Mountains. Um, and he just really loves it there. He used to stop there all the time between Tombstone and a place called Galeyville, okay. uh, which was kind of like a cowboy town. Uh, he used to stop there all the time um, and talk to all the, all the ranchers loved him. Oh, yeah, uh, they would cook dinner for him. They would cook him. dinner for him and, you know, take care of his horses. And he just really enjoyed it there. And that's why he's there now. Okay. Because uh, he just really, you know, he just enjoyed the area. And I can see why. It's beautiful there. Right. So he's, yeah, he's there because he wants to be there that's understandable that's understandable right let me ask you one of my because I, I 
have did you run across i mean i know like all these you know frontiers town and everything did you run across any uh, locations or any uh entities that were native american as far as what was going on there oh oh yeah one of our uh favorite places is a, a um Council Rocks in the okay. Dragoon Mountains. And a lot of Apache warriors up there, Chief Cochise. Um, so that chapter will be in book two. Okay. Um, but, you know, there's not a lot, not a lot of places in Arizona um, that don't have some type of Native American history. Right, um, right. We've also, we've also talked to Geronimo. You have. Um, have we talked to Notable, but we we've talked to a lot of Native American people, so okay. And they're and the reason why uh, I ask is that I mean human beings are human beings, but Native American beliefs in the spirit world are different from let's say Christians, which is what you know was out there. You know, there's two two different types of belief systems as to what happens when you die. Um, You know, some. I know I'm not going to say I, I don't know specifically what the beliefs for for the Apaches were, but you know some Native Americans they did ancestor worship in the sense, and then others were like once you were dead, you never spoke of the dead, you never said their name. It was like because they were afraid of having that person, even if it was a family member, come back and haunt them. So that's why I know that their belief system, depending on the tribe, of course, is different. Um, and but. You know, and and I know that there's some places that you could say, okay, there's a residual type of haunting because maybe, you know, something went on there on that land for maybe thousands of years or hundreds of years. And when people are there, they'll pick up on things. And then there's the actual, you know, haunting, haunting of an intelligent haunting. And that's why I, I was wondering if you had run across any that were Native American. And then I'm thinking to myself, because... You know, as far as regular settlements, you knew, okay, either there's a town there or there was a town there or there's a ghost town and this is a place to start looking. But where the Native Americans lived, I imagine in some cases there's no sign to to indicate there was once a village here uh, or anything like that. Yeah, that's true. So There isn't. I mean, we have um, – there's Native American history all over Arizona um, but I mean, we just recently learned for book two that uh, there's a presidio not too far from our house. Actually, it's a Spanish presidio. Okay. Um, built by New Spain, um, but they sent orders from the King of Spain through mm-hmm. Mexico <clears throat> up here in 1776. Okay. Um, and it existed for about five years. Um, so it was a fairly large um, presidio, large, you know, structure with um, officers and, and um, regular enlisted and their families. Uh, mm-hmm. But they were attacked constantly by the Apache. Constantly. I mean, the Apache killed hundreds of these Spanish. Um, and right. to, finally, they just abandoned the, the presidio. But what we have found doing research for our book is that they are now working together on the other side. Both really? Spanish and Native American. Yes. That is so interesting, God. Yeah, all of a sudden you realize. So, enemies in life. Yes. 
I think that's fascinating because it's almost like when you're under the side, you realize, man, that was stupid. It was we were killing ourselves over, you know, like you get over that. So that, that, yeah. I, I like that. I like that. Um, you know, not it's not always like enemies of life and enemies in the afterlife. No, in the afterlife, you realize right. that the differences were only superficial in a way. And uh, that's that's correct. I, I, I like that very story. similar value. Also, right. Yeah. 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 It's like and like everything else, you know, if, um, you know, if you were a soldier, you were told what to do. You know, if if you were an Apache and you belonged to that tribe, you, you know, you were told what to do. You were told what to yeah. do. You better, you know, everybody fell in step, even if inside their head they were thinking, God, what am I doing? I don't but yeah, it's 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 a fascinating period of time, and um, God, your book sounds so super interesting. But anyway, Rhonda Dwight, I want to thank you so so much for spending this time uh, with me and talking about your experiences and you know uh, and and I'm now when let me ask you something. When you're saying you are working on another book that's going to be out after this one that's just releasing now. That's correct. Yes. Okay. Yes, we are. And do you know what you're going to be bringing that out this year at all, or you don't know yet when you're going to be issuing that, releasing that? Yeah, we're not sure yet. Okay. Uh, like I say, our first book's just set to release, right. you know, next week. So, whenever you know that one kind of runs its course, our mm-hmm. publisher, you know, will probably take this one, and you know, then we'll be able to announce a release date on the second one. Okay. I imagine there's a lot of stories out there. There's a lot. There's a lot of, there's a, like I said, out there, like in all things, of course, there's, uh, there's a lot of drama. There's a lot of unexpected emotions. And I uh, imagine that you guys must run across. And when those spirits decide that they want to communicate with you and tell you their story, what an earful you guys must hear. It's like, what? <laughs> this, you know, <laughs> soap operas don't have anything on this because, and that's the thing. Sometimes people think of sometimes as the good old days. And it's like, man. Humans have been humans, and even back then, things that people got up to, and oh yeah, it's incredible. And um, you know, some of the secrets they kept uh, also incredible. So yeah. again, guys, thank you so very much. You guys have been wonderful, and I want to wish you the best of thank luck you. with this book. And I look forward thank to you number so much. two. Yep. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. you. So much. Take care. Bye bye. You too. Have a good night. Bye-bye. God. See what they were saying about... um, This thing with the, 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 the... What do you call it? The real story on history? I love that. I think that is fascinating. And I think... What they were describing of what happened, let's say, let, with that story about the OK Corral, which, I mean, there's been so many movies made about it. And, you know, most recently, The Tombstone and Wider, they both those movies came out like pretty much very close together. And, and you know what? I think because, let's face it, everybody gets celebrity driven and you watch TV and, and people don't realize a lot of these versions that they put out there of these stories 
even though they might say based on or inspired by true events, sometimes loosely based is being kind. Sometimes they have little or no truth, or they kind of take the truth and they massage it and go, ah, okay. Why? Because, hey, every story's got to have a hero. Every story's got to have its villains. And what they were talking about was Wyatt Earp. And, and, and this is the thing. To me personally, I like stories where everybody's not so one-dimensional. And yes, you are going to have certain people that are pure evil. And they're just bad all the way through from beginning to end. But the majority of folks, yes, some are worse than others, but we're a mix. We have our good things. We have our bad things. We have bad tendencies or thoughts that we fight against and we prevail and then there's other people that give in to it too much but anyway when you hear this story what they were talking about the okay corral was that you know Wyatt Earp and the Earp brothers which are always looked at <clears throat> as gunmen and et cetera, et cetera, they were maybe not as much good guys as you think they were battling for control of a town uh, control of uh, maybe the gambling interest because as I said before Wyatt Earp he went on you know he he took up with Josie which is the one that you see in all the movies which from what I've done on uh, my research she was at one point she worked as a prostitute you know I know they portray her as being an actress that's not she it seems that she ran away from home when she was very young maybe foolishly and uh, she ended up working in a brothel. And um, the truth of what I found is for a lot of these girls that fell into this for one way or another, uh, basically their story became known if they crossed paths with a man that for some reason uh, was famous. Okay, in this case it was Wyatt Earp. And of course Wyatt Earp, him and Josie, that's true, they did spend the rest of their lives married together. As a matter of fact, she outlived him by 15 years. Uh, and he went on and he moved on to San Diego when San Diego was up and booming. And he ran some casinos. He owned some mines. <clears throat> then there, you know, took a little bit of a slump and he went on to the Yukon. Uh, same thing. Uh, I, I'll give him that. that. That man was an entrepreneur. And what people don't realize was that Josie, his wife, had a really bad gambling habit, really bad gambling habit, and that she would gamble and gamble and gamble, and then he would have to go behind her, not behind her back, but basically pay off her debts, and um, as a matter of fact, like I said, she outlived him by 15 years, and she passed away, They lived, she lived in California, she was basically penniless, and it was some of his friends that he had met because remember he died into the 20s so he kind of like overlapped a little bit with the early cowboy westerns where they were coming to him and of course he had a colorful life you cannot deny that and um you know and he gave him of course his version of his life i would too you know but anyway they were the ones that footed the bill for her to be buried because she just did not know how to keep a hold of her money and um you know, and again, uh, it's interesting as the way history is written is not exact 
exactly the truth. It's not like now that we've got phones and cameras and everybody can document what really happened. Um, and just for example, that, that story about the Earps that, you know, of course they're always known for the showdown at the OK Corral. And that's true. The guy led a very colorful life. His brothers then went on their way and did their own thing. But you know what? People don't realize prior to him taking up with Josie, he had not one, but two wives, both who were, had worked in a brothel. Okay. And Maddie was number two, the one that, that uh, Rhonda talked about that she ended up, she had an addiction problem. She ended up committing suicide and she's buried in a little town in Arizona because what happened with good old nice guy Wyatt was he dumped her. He dumped her and he took off with Josie and lived the rest of his life and they got married and blah, 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 blah. And the rest is history. And back then a lot of people in, in some instances, they'll say they were never married, but you have to understand back then common law marriages were common. And sometimes they weren't common law, but the paperwork is gone. It's not like today where you have vital statistics and they have triplicates of everything that happens, births, deaths, marriages. And, um, and yeah, they, there was a lot of people that made their lives out in this frontiers town, basically going from boom town to boom town or whether it was mining or something's going on there uh, in the case of where you had cattle, you know, being shipped out. They, towns sprung around where these railroad depots would come in to unload, upload cattle and take them back to the east because before they would have to drive them, uh, which is where you get to Chisholm Trail. You had a lot of towns that went up around those things. And uh, despite the romanticism that Hollywood gives them, these were very, very hard, difficult times. Uh, and what he described about is the miners, people, if you were a man and you had a family and you died from one day, you went into a mine, an explosion occurred and you were dead. Guess what? If you had a family that depended on you, that's it. They didn't have. And you had a woman maybe with children. What was she going to do? Believe it or not, some of these ladies ended up in brothels because they had no choice. Sometimes they would even, what, what they were making, they would, they would feed their kids and even their own parents, you know, when, because they had no choice. What else were you going to do? And maybe you didn't have any place to move back east to. This was it. And your husband just got killed. You know, there was no type of government assistance as far as, oh, ma'am, we're going to give you money. That, that was it. You're too bad. You, you know, sorry. Well, you know, maybe the mining company and that's it. And sometimes they if it was bad enough, there was no not even a funeral per se, because your husband is buried under three tons of rock. OK, so. Yeah, these were rough and tumble times, a lot of opportunity, but a lot, unless you had a lot of money or you were very lucky, as in some of these guys that, you know, ran across some type of, uh, you know, either gold or silver or, you know, that the, the, they were able to stake a claim and you, uh, you could very easily lose your life. And the point being that that is the perfect recipe for intelligent hauntings and I've said this before uh, you're going to get people 
that die suddenly and they make their way and they're fine. But then there's others that die unexpectedly. And I'll give you an example. You got a minor dies suddenly. He's left behind a wife and children. He knows maybe in those few seconds that when he knows he's gonna die if he you know, whatever, milliseconds, that his wife and his children depend on him to live. If you don't think that that worry about what is going to happen to my family could bind a soul, yes, it can. Okay, and sometimes if they get stuck in that cycle of what happened to them or why did this happen or it could be anything. They kind of get like on a hamster wheel of questions and worries and what happened and they don't, they, like, like Rhonda said, they're, they don't recognize the passage of time. Uh, it, like I said, it, 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 a lot of things along those lines. Or what he said, that they've come across spirits of wives, of the wives. The women that were left behind to, from one day to the next, figure out how they are going to live, how they're going to protect their children. No. Really, really interesting. I, I personally, like I said, I love research. And one of the reasons I love research, and it sounds like this is what they're doing with their book, is that they're finding out what's the real story, the true story. Plus, they've got this great source. They've got the entities that are there telling them. And like I said, you know, you know you've got all these characters that are well recognized, like the Earps and all these. But you've got a cast of characters out there that went out there, lived, died, under whatever circumstances, their names are unknown to history. Nope. No, these were like regular people. But let's face it, this was their story. And when they find somebody that they can communicate, like Dwight and like Rhonda, and this is like maybe the first time that they're able to say, you know, my name is so-and-so, and I came from out east, and maybe I was in the Civil War, but I was just a soldier, and then I came out here, and, and I brought my wife and my kids and I was working in the mines and we were doing okay. But then one day, there was a big explosion. And I was buried under all these rocks and I wasn't able to get out. And blah, 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 blah. I'm just making this as I go along. But I don't think it's that far-fetched either. This is the first time they have for somebody. And nobody knows who this guy was. He's not notorious or infamous or famous or nothing like that. But their their stories are just as riveting. And in some cases... They give you an accurate uh, interpretation of what really happened at that point in time. But anyway, guys, I hope you like the show. Please subscribe to the channel so you can get notified. If you're listening to me on podcast, same thing. Uh, you know, you can either get a link to the video on YouTube. I'm also on Steemit um, or on, on the different podcast platforms, whether it's Stitcher, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, just go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com. You find links there, either directly to those sites, or you can download the MP3 file for the podcast version, or you can, you know, you can, I also have the link right there to the YouTube show, which I have a lot of fantastic guests coming on. Uh, Catch me live stream on Facebook. And on Twitter, my true believers, do not forget about me. I've gotten some really interesting stories 
go to the Submit Your Story tab on MiamiGhostChronicles.com. I want to hear your stories. Like I said, you want to send it to me, you want to email it to me, you want to contact me, and I can just do this. I'm considering at some point in time even putting in a phone line so I can talk to you guys directly because I know some people are a little bit shy and they're not into writing, especially if it's kind of a long story. So I've got that. I've got that in the works. Uh, like I said, also, you can find me on Steemit. I'm going off to other platforms just so that you guys find me. <laughs> you guys find me. Again, like I said, I've got a lot, a lot, a lot of fantastic shows. I've got a lot of requests to do storytelling. I've gotten a lot of like, oh, you know, about some of these places. We would like to hear some of these stories about the ghosts or the haunted houses or the haunted hill or the, you know, uh, so I might do a few shows around uh, some of the haunted stories, some known and some not well known about certain locations because a lot of people like to hear those. So again, guys, thank you so very much for coming in, listening, watching, whatever the case might be. And again, guys, I think you are all wonderful. And please, you will find a link to Rhonda and Dwight's website down below in the credits. Don't forget to check out their website and their brand new book. Take care.